but it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat in the house. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> so this airplane, this airliner, um, let, what, Which me, one? this is the first thing on the list here. The uh, This is by way of a tweet from uh, uh, someone on Twitter oh, named Man, that's Manju. Why, that's why that's on the list. Okay, Manju V, uh-huh. right? Um, this is an Air India Express Boeing 730s. But 737s are in the news lately, all right? And we'll come back to the bigger story. But uh, um, this is pretty, pretty, uh, pretty significant here. So... Um, assuming this story is accurate, um, it says an air, and this is a tweet by Manju, and I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that, Manju V, uh, on Twitter. Um, mm. Air India Express Boeing 737 carried out a half-hearted takeoff at 1.30 a.m. from Tr- Trichy or Trichy Airport, um, hit a localizer antenna, and then an airport boundary wall, all right? <laughs> okay, major damage to the aircraft underbelly, but the pilots were unaware of this and flew on to the their a planned destination and landed in Mumbai. Um, and there's a picture here of this, 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 you know, like major gash along the bottom belly of this airplane. Um, and uh, let's see now, it appears to be just, just behind the wheel wells, the main gear wheel wells. Um, and uh, I don't know, man. I, I don't know what's more stunning yeah, about it, this. It looks like it hit that after it rotated because yeah, that's... Yeah, it looks like, looks like the wheels were in the well already. Um, yeah? They had to have been or there wouldn't be any landing gear. Okay. Well, based if, yeah, on okay. That, based on that scrape on the on the bottom of the fuselage. Yeah. You look at, you look at the, the, the forward end of that hole. Okay. Yeah. On both sides are the wheel wells or the main wheel wells. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so the gear to, for the gear to be down now safely on the ground that had to have been retracted. Well, assuming that the uh, obstacle was wide enough to snag the wheels, which it, it said it was. I mean, and the main it, thing it, it said it hit airport was airport boundary wall. The wall, yeah. I admit, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, so. Yeah, somehow or another, and, they they got the gear out of the, the way. Wheel. Guys, it would have gotten the nose wheel. Uh, you're, uh, you're right. The, the nose wheel would have is absolutely in line with whatever it was they hit. Well, with, it's in it line. Was, if it was pitched up to, the, even if it wasn't climbing, if it was pitched up, the nose gear probably would miss the wall. Yeah, maybe. Possibly. Possibly. It depends. But what it sounds like to me is they didn't fly airspeed when on takeoff they went visual and just kind of shoved the nose over a little bit uh, when they should have been flying um, the rep speed I don't know yeah I mean if this is just they apparently weren't overloaded or, or anything uh, from what I understand it was a routine uh, operation for that airplane at that airport yeah, I, I all I've ever seen on this is the Twitter um, and and the yeah. the you know the I, responses. I, I saw something else about it. Let me see if I can find. Yeah, because uh, I well, one thing seems obvious that the gear survived because it's not sitting on the gear. Right. Yeah. Well, the implication here, and maybe Dave uh, Jeb can find more detail, but the implication here is that they not only took off and flew, but landed without even realizing yeah. um, about this. That's, um, that's key key to my observation. Is yeah, it, it. I mean, uh, and you know how these jets will pitch up 
and sometimes it'll be two or three seconds before they actually get positive rate of climb. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if that's not what happened here, and that's why this aft section of the fuselage behind the gear wells uh, is the only part of the belly that shows visible damage because right. it was pitched up when it hit the wall. That, but, that's entirely possible, but uh, yeah. the odds of an airplane hitting an obstruction with the gear down and, and sustaining a gash like that, it just I just don't... Okay, well, fine. But um, the parts that sounds far fetched to me, as yeah. opposed to near fetched. So one of the one of the many things about this that puzzle me, and you guys maybe can educate me a little bit here. One is, um, how, you know, if, if you were low enough to the ground to hit a localizer antenna and or a boundary wall, I, I'm surprised that the gear was up yet. I mean, I don't, I mean, they, I know they raise the gear pretty quick, but they're they're usually you know out of ground effect before they raise the gear. Yes, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, usually yeah. you know. Yeah. Usually don't raise it till they get positive rate of climb. Yeah. My rule of thumb is uh, if I'm not going to be able to land on that runway anymore, I'll retract the gear. Yeah, well, clearly they were. That's (laughs) when I retract the gear. You know, antenna boundary wall, they were beyond the end of the runway. All right, so there's that. Yeah. 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 Um, Unless they're uh, building boundary walls across the runways now. uh, Well, you know. I haven't been to that airport. You know, the the Indians are innovative people, so you never know. Um, And and the pilot that that I know... Uh, who was at my favorite brew pub last night? Uh, he, he asked me, he "said you, you you do general aviation? Are you following this stuff with a seven thirty seven at all?" He said, "Seems like an awful lot of stuff lately." And I said, "Well, that's not exactly surprising because it's the most flown airliner in the world. Yeah, yeah. on any given moment, there's more seven thirty sevens in the air than anything else." Right. Yeah, we're so, going to come back to this other big 737 story in a bit, but uh, yeah, it, it's the, these things. Yeah, right. It's it, it's a the lot of them flying airliner. Right. There's a, there's a lot of them flying, so there's going to be more than your average thousands number. of them. Yeah. Um, so my next question about this is the idea that you could do this much, you could strike something and do this much damage to the aircraft and not sense it in any way, shape, or form flying the airplane. Um, you know, I don't know how to, you know, I mean, maybe there's a lot going on there. And, and if it's a, I don't know what the situation was. And maybe there's other things going on you just didn't notice. And then finally, once you've got this, ga- this gash has got to change the the handling of the airplane, right? It's got to make it more draggy or more. Yeah, I wouldn't uh, expect too much. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, it, you know it, it, it did make me wonder whether pressurization would work normally. Uh, oh, that's an interesting question, yeah. Apparently, we don't know the it, mission of this, this aircraft. Yeah. Do we know that it was a... Well, Air India Express suggests that it was yeah, a passenger aircraft. Yeah, going from where to where? doesn't Tri- say where they were taking off from. It says Trichy, Trichy or oh, Trichy. Trichy. Air, yeah, I don't know if that's a town or an airport name, but... Uh, mm. Well, here's a flight global link. Let's see. Boundary wall at one eighteen local time. No one was injured. One eighteen uh, a.m. p.m. One eighteen a.m. Okay, it's dark out. Zero one eighteen. All right. Local time. Um, landed at. 
Turachirapali, um, India. At 5.39 local time. Okay. Images show a long tear in the fuselage immediately after the main landing gear bays. Yep. Same picture, but actually a different one. Um, Boy, and that's a long flight. You know, it's the same series of it's the same series of images as Manju V, but Manju V's um, thing from the same place, different lighting, different mm-hmm. shot. Yeah. Um, well, this, yeah. Is a, this is a bloody long flight. How far? I mean, it what, takes what? off with the, near the southern tip of India and goes about halfway up the west coast to, to Mumbai. Right. Well, it was four hours-ish, assuming there was no yeah. time zone change. Um, anyways... In 21 hours, if you're driving. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't Google Maps great? Yeah. How many How many hours driving? 21 hours, 18 minutes is what the this directions map says. That's, I, don't th- I, I don't think I'd trade a drive for the flight. I'd, I'd take the flight. Well, this e- one? E- I don't even know. If I... can opener, even if it's likely that the can opener is going to rip open this bottom of the airplane. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm glad everything turned out okay. I uh, just well, like I'm surprised uh, the flight crew didn't hear the can opener running. You know, it goes. I, I know. Yeah, I know. It's uh, it's pretty crazy. Jeb, that any that everything you gleaned from this article you found? I don't know what to make. It basically it confirms all the details that that are kind of important here. Uh, everybody got out of it alive. Um, they hit the same basic things, take it off the same airport. D- does um, it does it tell whether it was an airline pa- a passenger flight or a? Yeah, 136 passengers. Wow, yeah. and crew aboard. Wow. Baggage compartment is pressurized, isn't it? Yeah, some are. So, so you would think, like David suggested, this would reach into a pressurized area, unless there's some sort of, you know, structural fairing kind of thing on the bottom of the belly here that it didn't get to the pressure vessel but that's crazy i guess because the gear go up into that area there must be some dead space if you will um up there so maybe yeah okay all right i'm thinking about loud here anyways okay well yeah yeah. the the flight global um story says local media reports indicated that the pilots who apparently claim to be unaware of the incident have since been removed from duty well okay uh, how long he's ago now, did this happen? He, when was he's this? He's now working at Best Buy selling can openers. Yeah. Oh, okay. Ooh. There we go. Welcome, Ooh. folks. Welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson coming to you from high atop Lookout Point in beautiful uh, but chilly, for sure, uh, Nottingham, New Hampshire. Uh, and... Uh, um, uh, here on this, uh, this is a strange morning because we've got the we've got all the different we've got like three different seasons accounted for in our virtual hangar here, um, and so right here it's definitely onset of winter. It's been below freezing for about forty eight hours, and uh, woke up this morning to a little bit of ice on the lake, and uh, yeah, it's 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 almost winter here. Um, but let's see now, where it's sort of a little bit earlier at onset winter, but it's apparently going to get up into the fifties and sixties today uh, in Wichita. Kansas uh, is uh, Dave Higdon. Hi, David. What are you doing? Waiting for the heat wave. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's going to be a little well heat wave for this time of year. It's going yeah. to yeah. So uh, you actually got a little snow. Did you actually get to shovel, or did you just let it sit and let it melt? No, that was a funny thing. It was collecting on the ground really well, and all the paved surfaces never got it. it, it the, the snow didn't stick. So I got a little over three inches at my place, but did not have to ice or shovel the sidewalk. My favorite kind. There we go. <laughs> well, my favorite kind is the kind that that uh, we get in our third season here, uh, which is uh, central. Florida, uh, where it's what is it? It's probably 70, 80 there right now? Well, well it's morning, but it's still it's probably 60, 70, no, right? Let's, let's find out real quick. Yeah, okay. All right. We have this new thing. <laughs> you may have heard of it. Um, weather Underground says 75. 75 degrees at 10 a.m. Somewhere near, somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Uh, talking to uh, my other good friend here, Jeb Burnside. Hi, Jeb. Hi, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. good. Um, yeah, I was. I was. You know, thinking it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I used to when I lived in California, where there's it's a, not there's qu- a nip in the air. A nip in the air. That's right. Yeah, I know. Um, when I lived in California uh, for 15 years, and uh, um, where it's not quite as warm as Florida, but doesn't snow, it's the same similar kind of thing. Um, it used to always bug me when people would talk about there being no seasons, and I would go, "There are seasons. There definitely. I can tell the difference. There may not be four, four, but there's three, and there's you know, and it's different. It's colder this time of year and warmer. Anyways, yeah. So it's it's chilly. There's a nip in the air in Florida. Didn't. You guys did have some weather. Didn't you get like a lot of rain recently, or, or, or the edge of a hurricane? Or it's been a month since we've talked. Yeah, so. we, we got the edge of, of I forget which hurricane it was, Michael. Yeah, that went up um, up over up over, over the Pensacola, right? Yeah, right, right. We got some wind and rain out of that, um, just enough to knock down some old palm fronds and uh, keep the keep the soil nice and soggy. Yeah. Um, but uh, since then, it's been relatively dry. You can, you can tell we've turned the corner seasonally, uh, where it's not nearly as rainy. Uh, that said, uh, it's been rather humid lately, and there's been some afternoon showers, which is not uncommon for this time of year. But there's a cold front coming through tonight. Uh, we might see, they're saying we might see temperatures as low as 49 Wow, I mean, I yeah, I know. All kidding aside, I know I, my. I, no, my flaw. I'm, I'm just it's the, the absurdity of it all uh, compared to you know what you guys are experiencing, and uh, it, it's just it's just odd. It's just odd. Yeah, the whole thing. Is what, it is. What's really cool about Florida though, yeah, is the first cold snap. Like we're, we're getting, uh, and you go out on Saturday night. And everybody is wearing all the winter clothes that, um, that they've never had a chance to wear mm-hmm. before, and then that's it. That's kind of that's the only time they wear their winter clothes. They're, then they're back to t-shirts and, and uh, shorts. Right. You know, the next right. week. And, yeah. and it doesn't matter if it's forty; we'll, we'll survive. Yeah, um, it, it's hilarious. That's just one of, one of the little cultural features of Florida. I, yeah. I mean, I, I with, with it, it, at the risk of seeming like I'm, I'm bashing my Florida friends because I really love my Florida friends, but it always amuses me when I come down in the middle of the winter and I've come from where it's like you know, five degrees Fahrenheit or colder, um, and I'm like ready for shorts and you know, and yet my Florida friends are all wearing quilted you know winter parkas parkas and 
um, all bundled up like it's freezing cold. Um, but on years when I've spent a appreciable amount of time in Florida, I've actually started to feel the cold. I start to go, man, it's cold. It's only 50. What are we going to do? How are we going to live? How, so, how, how will we survive? How will we survive? Uh Let's see now. David, before we move on, there's one other non-flying thing I want to ask you about. A minute ago, you referred to um, um, that you had, I believe you said, uh, you said you've, you were at your favorite brew pub last night. And my question is, is this your favorite brew pub or just your favorite one from last night? Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's, it's, my, it's my favorite in terms of the one I visit most frequently. Yes. I think it you was the only one I visited last night. Had had one beer, shot the breeze with a few people, and then boogied back to the uh, home base. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm giving you a hard time here. Uh, let's see now. Uh, speaking of, well, this is not weather exactly, and this is a very serious story. Um, a The fires in California yeah. um, is just, a dis- I mean, beyond disturbing. Um, and, and a lot of people have died. I mean, just tragically, yeah. a lot of people have died. And, uh, and a, a lot more have had, have, have uh, suffered incredible losses. Um, this, this little town of Paradise, California, is just, just such a sad story. That basically, that, the entire that town. That was per- a campfire which killed so far that they know of 48 people yeah 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 so uh um i have a couple of friends who live not in the paradise area but in that sort of you know elevation of the sierra and uh you know there but for the grace of you know whoever's controlling these things um i worry about them all i worry about all my california friends i mean it's just like in the last couple of years i've I've had california friends that had landslides go right down beside their neighborhood and i've had friends who were evacuated from their homes for extended periods of times because of fires and uh, it's just it's wild i mean it's just wild um and but ga is doing its part i think right um who posted this story david what's this story about uh, uh ga uh, participating and helping with uh, well fire Cal- relief california's been the uh, the recipient of loner firefighting equipment from as far away as Canada, and what jumped out at me was the uh, piece that says forty five helicopters involved in, uh, in in fighting the fires, uh, particularly the campfire, uh, and they've got Sikorsky a seventy Firehawks, UH sixty A Utility Hawks, the big Boeing CH forty seven. Bell UH-1Ss. Those are Hueys, guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Sikorsky S-64 Sky Cranes. Those are monsters. And uh, they're just filling up their tanks, filling up their Bambi buckets, they, and just, you know, flying their brains out to do there's, it. Yeah, there's two, you know, large, wide-body jet transports that I know of that are flying routine fire suppression ops. Yeah. 747. A 747 and yeah. a DC-10. Yeah. I mean, you know, and they've had some serious, you know... They've gotten some serious uh, Hugging the terrain yeah. flying they do with these things. It's like it's not like they fly along at, you know, five ten thousand 10,000 feet. They're down in, in the valleys with these big airplanes. It's oh, kind of down, exciting to watch. They're down where the video. heat from the fire will beat your bloody brains to a mush. Yeah. I mean, it is so turbulent over fires. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they've got to get down to, to about 500 feet yeah. for, for that drop to be 
compact enough to 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 actually be effective on a certain area. Right. And these CH forty seven Ds, twenty eight gallon, twenty eight hundred. I'm sorry. 2,800-gallon internal tank capacity, a 2,600-gallon bucket capacity, and flexible to hold foam shell, flame retardant, or water. And, uh, folks, it's hard to look at all the fires in California in the last few years and not go, what's making it so much worse than usual? And I don't believe that it's forest management. I believe that it's the... uh, higher ambient temperatures oh, that dry yeah, out. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely climate change. I mean, yeah. it, to some extent, it's just bad luck. I mean, these things come in bunches to a certain extent, but I think it's aggravated by climate change for sure. Um, I'm looking at this picture um, on the, uh, David, I think you posted this uh, Rotor Ring uh, International, uh, or rotorandwing.com picture. Um, this is, shows the big uh, uh, fire smoke cloud over Malibu or the Malibu area. I, I was talking with uh, uh, our, our, one of our listeners, uh, uh, Drew, who flies a 172, and uh, Drew pretty regularly commutes between his home in Santa Barbara and his work in Long Beach, which is down just sort of south edge of the L.A. area. Um, and he flies right along, the, basically along the coast. Um, and uh, he was he, he called my attention to the to the TFR uh, for that fire over Malibu, and uh, he was saying, "Well, this is going to be a problem getting home." And uh, and and we were going back and forth on this because the TFR, surprisingly, this fire TFR over Malibu area only went up to like five thousand feet. And so I, I said, you know, easy. You just get above that, no problem. And then I saw a picture like this one that we're looking at, all right, with this right. monster smoke cloud, all right. Um, and I'm thinking, well, maybe, I guess maybe that you, you know, if you were at 7,000 feet, maybe you would be above the smoke. But yeah, think twice. Boys and girls, you do not want to fly through that. Yeah, I mean, even if you're an instrument, you do not want to fly through a, an ash cloud because it's bad stuff. It's, this is not a cloud. This is ash. This is particulates. So, yeah, don't do that. But uh, he did actually manage to safely fly a, roughly along that route. He sent me a picture. It was after dark. He sent me a couple of pictures that he took from his 172 of the imagine. Malibu fire. And uh, it's, you know, sobering, the whole thing. But... Uh, you know, good on GA, and and uh, and and one another example of how the GA infrastructure um, is valuable to public safety, not just uh, within the GA world. Um, you know, the ability to have airports nearby and 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 small and these these you know aircraft available is uh, is important for public safety. So, GA is good. GA is good. What do we got here? Uh, one other follow-up here I want to talk about. Uh, see, this is we're going to talk. We're already running long here. Um, so I was I was given I was having a hard time with the ski jump ramp aircraft carrier a while ago. All right, um, and I still am, but I'm going to just kind of like yield to greater minds on the subject of whether the ski jump ramp is a good idea. But I will take note that this picture came out recently, which is um, a picture of one of the earliest, if not the first aircraft taking off of a ship. I believe this is in San Francisco Bay, as a matter of fact. All right. Um, and they had created a flight deck on this ship and the and the end of the flight deck where, you know, where the, the aircraft flew over to take off went down. All right. It was a sloping downward thing. Okay. And, <laughs> and so... Oh, 
I think you get my point here. All right, this is like so. Now, which is it? Is is, is sloping up helps you fly better, or does sloping down help you fly better? All right. Well, first of all, this was like the first aircraft carrier, something like that, such okay, as it how, is. How do you know they got it right that time? Well, I mean, okay. <laughs> but but, but and, and balance that out, of course, by the fact that no other aircraft carrier has ever had that kind of a ramp. No. Now, now answer <sighs> answer that question for me. Well, my remember, point is, uh, oh, the, I don't know. The what my... first of anything is by definition an experiment, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. My point now, now, is, like, I'm looking at this picture again. <laughs> this aircraft, you know, which is very much a Wright Brothers era biplane, you know, um, canard wing kind of thing. Or no, it's got a tail. It's a Curtis sort of, Pusher. Is it a Curtis Pusher? Okay. Yeah. So, um, and he's t- and he's he's just left the, uh, the 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 you know stem end of this 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 uh, ship. Um, and, and he's already below the deck level. At least his wheel is that, that yeah. first image at the top of this article, though. And, yeah. And this, you, we should note this is by our good friend and friend of the podcast, Fred Johnson. Oh, I hadn't noticed that. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> but the first image at the top of this article, uh, the guy just does not look like he's having a good time. Well, but that's just maybe. Me. I, I think I think it's you know they're trying to look serious, right? Yes. This is like you know he was inventing the right stuff. Look, this you know, nineteen eleven. Yeah. So, anyway, anyways, yeah, um, it's very cool. Um, so I, I just you know, apparently I don't know. I still don't get the ski jump thing. I just don't get it. I don't. I well, don't. Keep, keep in mind also that the aircraft of nineteen eleven were woefully underpowered. Yes. They needed that a little extra. It might have, may have needed. I just, you know, I still stand by my. Nobody else has done it like this ever since. Right, but see, that's um, my point. They needed this little extra. All right, down is what gives you the extra. All right, yeah. how does down give you extra, but up also gives you extra? This is my confusion. By the way, I'm now looking more closely at, at, at a later picture here. Um, this is the one that's sort of the longer shot that shows the whole ship, and uh, the uh-huh. aircraft is sort of just over the uh, end of the deck. The, Am the, I seeing the this correctly? SS Pennsylvania. The, that's landing. That's landing. Yeah. Oh, that's landing. Because is but there an upslope at the we, at the no, onboard? Absolutely, there is. So yeah. that the, whatever wreckage there is, it slides forward. <laughs> All right. See, these are pioneers, man. We should not be making fun. No, of I'm serious. That's why they did it. No, Eugene, <laughs> Ellie, um, and company uh, for their uh, incredibly daring and pioneering work in learning how to fly on and off of ships. I think it's cool. But I still don't get this this angled deck thing. It's just confusing the hell out of me. So, anyways. All right. Uh that's enough of that. Um, well, you know, taking off downhill helps you, you know, it helps your acceleration. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. So, so it's what, only, only an eighty-five foot long flight deck. So, so that little bit of extra help to get the flying speed. And he's but, about to pitch up because we know he didn't go into the water. Right, but then, but then, how is how does the up ramp, which takes away your flying speed, also work for you? No, no, we're not going down there. We're not. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're changing this up. We're new. Moving on. Moving on. My bad. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, 
So let's see now. Um, I think this is a good thing, right? Uh, uh, reading from AOPA's uh, AOPA.org's uh, website. Uh, uh, aviation groups urge FAA for clear, consistent ramp space charting. Um, so there have been a lot of stories um, over the last, well, forever, but I think I've seen a lot of them, a handful of them in the last recent months about um, it's hard when you're at an unfamiliar airport to figure out where you can just park your airplane there's, you know, these are public use airplane airports that are paid for in part out of FAA money. There ought to be a place where you can just park your airplane and go get your hundred dollar hamburger. Um, and it's not always obvious. And some places the FBO is going to charge, hit you up with a big fee, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, they and, send out the big "follow me" sign. <laughs> this right. is the way to parking. Yeah, yeah. So they uh, should do that in Disney World. I know. But yeah, well, right. Well, they this, cut, yeah. But go this, ahead, Jim. This article is a little bit dated. There, there's been there have been subsequent events in this same sure uh, this same issue area. Um, basically, um, look at something real quick. Like six or eight of the GA alphabet soup banded together behind a kind of a uh, campaign. Um, they call no before you go. Mm-hmm. And there's certain um, what they've tried to do is, is establish some best communication practices for FBOs. There's a, like a four-point list of things. Um, the punchline is that um, the industry as a whole has agreed to work on some of these uh, these informational industry uh, these informational uh, uh, issues that have arisen and. Um, Looks like it's, they're going to get some uh, uh, some better uh, sounding, better uh, right. uh, recognition of what the problems are. And didn't I also see a story in addition to making the information, whether it's the modern day equivalent of the green book or or the charts themselves, the plates themselves, um, have better designations of where you can park? Um, wasn't there some sort of movement afoot to? Um, make sure that in fact all these FAA funded public airports have a public ramp that's part of it yeah there's, there's, yeah. there's this has several elements this is I don't know what to call it um, fair pricing movement or, or whatever uh, has several elements one of them is uh, if all I'm doing is taxing in uh, loading and or unloading uh, passengers and cargo and taxing right back out without the need for any services other than a brief use of ramp space. Why isn't there a designated area on the airport for exactly such uh, mm-hmm. activity mm-hmm. that one could taxi and shut down, load, unload, be out of there without needing to it, 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 consider it, you know, using an off ramp off of an interstate? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can use the off ramp. Or the on-ramp, for that matter. But you don't have to spend any money at the businesses that are located around that exit. Right. Except when there's a toll booth, which sometimes That's happens. That's a whole other topic. Yeah, right. Okay. So, but, but I'm with you. I, there should be. They're now, publicly now, paid for airports right. should have a free ramp. Right. Um, now, if the airport wants to institute an airport landing fee, no, regardless, that's fine. They have a prerogative to do that. But I also have the prerogative to know about it. Yeah. Yep, and, and through the normal um, aviation information distribution methods, right. uh, and we have the technology, we can do this. We do it with fuel prices. Mm-hmm. 
We can, we can make it, it stronger fees, information. Parking fees, overnight fees. We can do all of that. Well, that's, and it's a business opportunity that someone was going to owe me some money for down the road. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, that's a good point. Um, we've crowdsourced uh, this, the collection of, of gas prices um, all over the country. Um, I wonder, may, maybe it's even been done. I, or, or I bet it will be done, though, soon, um, if well, it hasn't already. That's kind um, of part of it. it. It's The ball is slowly starting to roll down that hill. Signature, if you if you believe everything that comes out of AOPA, the worst offender of, of the bunch uh, of, of FBOs out there, um, has uh, started publishing, at least for piston aircraft, publishing on their website uh, for their individual facilities the various basic prices they would expect uh, you to know about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so that's that's a step in the right direction. Yeah, totally it, step in the right direction. To, it has to be, you know, kind of. Eventually, it will get standardized and it will get uh, monetized, but uh, that's okay. Yeah. So, cool stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um. So a couple of uh, of uh, uh, very dramatic uh, airline uh, airliner incidents. Um, one one terribly tragic, uh, and one really really disturbing. But fortunately ended well um let's talk about the ended well one first the uh, i believe it was an ember 190 yes um was uh this is not in the u.s let me find the if someone jump in here and tell me where it was here port uh, uh portugal right uh looking at flightglobal.com uh e190 upset inquiry details pilots battle to regain control um portuguese so anyways uh, uh let's see now uh well, we'll figure out where it was. Yeah, Liz, Portugal. It's in Portugal. Yeah, it's Portugal. So the 190 took off and very quickly discovered that he had really, really dicey uh, flight controls, particularly apparently in roll, um, and uh, almost lost control of the airplane a couple of different times and, and finally figured out a way to kind of just barely keep the airplane under control. Um, looking at the flight track is, is disturbing all by itself. I mean, this yeah. airplane was like, um, was doing these weird, I believe they were all left turns, but they were all in the same direction, I noted. Um, they seemed to all be in the same direction. Um, um, talking to ATC all this time, eventually uh, joined up by one or more fighter planes to kind of help them along. And uh, <laughs> I always love that. They have, a, they, they, they have a major mechanical failure on the airplane. So let's send up F-16s. the fighter escorts. <laughs> yeah. Send no. armed, armed aircraft, of course. Well, okay. All right. Yeah. What, but what, I don't what, think. What, no, what, I think what that. What are those fighter guys going to do? Hand off a wrench? No, I think having. <laughs> no, having a chase plane there, can, eyeballs on the whole situation, able to talk to them, do whatever. All right. I mean, more eyeballs on the situation is a better thing. Um, I, I, I'm, I don't have a problem with this. I, I think it's okay. I, I, I don't. I don't really have a problem with it either. But let's not be so naive just to think they're not. They don't have an ultra, uh, another purpose. Uh, maybe. Maybe. Okay. Anyways, um, the flight crew finally uh, managed to get some semblance of control. Um, although they had thought maybe they were going to have to ditch into the ocean, they managed to, after apparently three attempts, uh, managed to land at a at a at an airport um, and and get it on the ground safely. Um, and and. The the issue sounds to me from the stories I've read um, 
and and we don't probably don't know for sure yet but sounds like it was uh fly-by-wire problems um there was something wrong with the logic of the flight controls is what i is that what it sounded like to you guys it, it sounds like a maintenance foo bar to me. Well, yeah, yes, it, that may be what caused it, but the effect was that the uh, flight well, controls, they may have been reversed. One story I said thought that maybe roll was reversed um, and that when you, when you, you know, twisted the yoke to the left, the airplane rolled right and vice versa, um, which is a textbook um, hardwired control um, issue with like airplanes the where the cables get connected and reconnected and every now and then you hear about a tragic story about an airplane that they get the uh, control that's why you do that test yeah, that's, there's, that's what, there's there's two really good paragraphs here yeah uh, basically, basically this the airline had yet to detail uh, the extent of the attitudes experienced by the aircraft but flight data recorder traces suggest that control column roll commands resulted in an opposite direction response mm-hmm the inquiry says the decision to engage direct law on the flight controls improved the situation, quote, considerably, unquote, although roll control remained difficult and normal operation was not restored. Yeah. They also had poor weather. Yeah. Crazy situation. Jeb, I, I think, Jeb, you're the one that made the observation or the comment or the suggestion that uh, first flight after maintenance was the was a, a contributing factor That's here. exactly well, was yeah. part of the problem. Uh, quote problem, uh, quote, part of the of the event uh, chain of link link of uh, linked events. Yeah, um, but I don't know what happened in maintenance um, that was that had that could possibly have affected this. I'm sure an investigation will have some ideas. Um, it, it sounds like just think putting it in an automotive world. Uh, it sounds like someone changed the sensor and did not initialize it correctly. Yeah, something like that, right? Yeah. Um, well, you think about what the flight crew faces here trying to get this down on the ground. They've got problems with roll control, and they've yeah. got a crosswind. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and, and on the third approach, after going around twice, they lined up to land on runway one niner right. And because of the crosswind, the airplane drifted, and they touched down on one niner left. Yeah, that 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 tells you that they were really not comfortable feeding aileron in to try to correct the, the drift. Yeah, it's scary situation. Just reading about it. Um, yeah, I, I I'd like to learn more about how they got through that. Um, Somebody yeah. needs to buy that crew a beer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they bought so, themselves a couple. I'm sure huh? they bought themselves a couple. I hope they got a raise out of the deal, too. <laughs> well, we'll see. So there's a very scary situation that ultimately ended okay, although people got banged up. Apparently, this airplane was being thrown around, and the uh, uh, passengers were, were no one was desperately injured, but there were there were some bumps and bruises, I guess. Maybe I'm oversimplifying. Anyways, that one ended more or less well. Um, the one that didn't end well, and the one that um, is really becoming a thing, is the 737 MAX uh, situation. Let me see if I can find the... Um, Remind me where this was like. I want to say Micronesia. Is this where that was? I uh, let's see here. Um, you know that place is so small it takes a microscope to see it. <laughs> um, 
So what happened here? Um, a 737 MAX, which is a relatively new model of the 737, uh, was taking off, and soon after takeoff, it it crashed. Um, and, um, and I don't know. We don't know exactly. But this, it, what's the buzz? The buzz here is that there was some sort of controls, software control thing that was undocumented that the pilots just plain didn't know about there was a bug or something like that which would cause the airplane to command itself into lows nose low and uh that's um that's what's going around right now yeah that's and, what a lot of sources are saying but it, it almost sounds like this was not unknown to some people, but the flight community was not informed. Because um, that's the first emergency AD that's come out about this. I, I And I made a note early on, I commented that this was not, it was interesting to me that this was not an AD on the aircraft, it was an AD on the pilots in a way, all right? It was an AD on the training. Um, it was like, you know, tell all the pilots that this is a thing, um, and, and here's how you should behave. Um, and uh, it's just... I don't know what to say. It, 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 you know, well, this plane crashed and everybody on yeah. board was killed, and or it was everybody, but most everybody. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Everybody. and uh, and now they're talking to these poor seven thirty sevens. I guess Dave Dave observed earlier correctly that you know when you've got this many aircraft in the inventory, they're going to have a larger percentage of incidents. But boy, seven thirty sevens have this kind of mixed life of you know they are the staple of airline travel these days. Um, but every now, every ten years—I don't know, ten, twenty years or so—they go through one of these things. They had the, uh, the, the what was it? The, the vertical stabilizer, you know, well, they, they had the thing years, years ago, a long time ago. Yeah. And uh, well, they had the issue chimney now. What twenty years ago, where the uh, valving that controls the rudder movement right would reverse itself. Yeah. And so they'd input left rudder and get full right rudder. And it was a and it was a crazy mystery for quite some time. Um, there yeah, were what was it three accidents. There were like of three that? or four crashes, and and they all had the same symptom, but nobody could figure out what was causing them. And and, uh, and it, it inspired one of my more infamous lines. <laughs> in yeah. oh, I'm listening. I'm go listening. ahead, go ahead, Dave. You can do it. Oh well, it was. Who was the administrator? Uh, Jane Garvey, and she just changed her position on something 180 degrees about the time the second accident with a 737 rudder reversal. So the line was, why is the FAA like a 737? Because it rolls for no apparent reason. <laughs> yeah, not funny. People were very funny, but not funny. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but now seven thirty sevens have got another weird problem, and uh, you know, I don't know. What? What is there anything and, to and say that about last one with the rudder? That those airplanes were old. They'd been around for a while. This was something that started to happen because of wear properties of that valve. This is a brand new model of seven thirty seven Max. It's been in service like for four months or something. It's, it's incredible. Right, right. And I, of course, I had the the, the luxury, <laughs> the uh, the uh, the opportunity, the uh, whatever, to actually fly a flight on a seven forty seven thirty seven Max. Um, you know like the next day uh, and and this whole mystery is floating around and um i made it i was fine uh, but uh, 
Uh, AD requirements. The AD requires, this is the Emergency Airworthiness Directive, uh, requires revising certificate limitations and operating procedures of the airplane flight manual to provide the flight crew with runaway horizontal stabilizer trim procedures to follow under certain circumstances. I'm hoping they're going to fix the airplane. This is like, it's not how you fix a bug. You don't fix a bug by writing around it. You fix the bug. What what sounds like going on here is, uh, again, someone didn't correctly maintain the uh, AOA vanes on this airplane. Mm -hmm. Uh, They may have been damaged. Who knows? But the flight experience, the aircraft, I should say, experienced um, symptoms on earlier flight. Um... The uh, ALA was replaced, and this was, I think, the first flight after uh, that maintenance work. Um, I was this, it. yeah, was this the one where one flight crew reported a problem and yeah. they either fixed it or didn't fix it, but they it thought it was up, fixed, they right? Thought it was fixed, and they and then they flew it, it again, and and then this happened or something yeah, like that, something yeah, like that. yeah. Um, so, and what's what was going on is. Somehow the software was when it sensed a, an AOA disagree, one on each side of the airplane. Mm-hmm. That was a Lion Air seven thirty seven. I know. Jeb's microphone just fell off the just thing. Just fell off. The, I'm back. Off okay. the mic stand yeah. and hit the ground. And uh, all right, you back now, Jeb? I'm yeah. back. Now. All right, yeah. So the AOAs uh, dis- disagreed left and right. The, had the AOA disagree, and for some reason the logic. Uh, commanded um, nose up, I'm sorry, nose down pitch trim to maintain airspeed. Now, I don't know what autopilot flight director mode they were in when all this occurred. Um, I've read um, some of the um, the AD, I'm by no means an expert at all that, and there was just a, there basically was a recovery procedure that no one had ever published before. Right. Yeah. That's, I don't know. Maybe this is more common than I realize, but this is the part that really shocks me, is that this was a somewhat known thing that they just didn't tell anybody or didn't tell the op- field people, the pilots about. That's just... Yeah. Stab trim, basically a stabilator trim runaway. Fish trim runaway. Yeah. Well, the so. software stuff that you're talking about is, is this isn't a fly-by-wire airplane. No, I don't not. believe it. It's not. But the, the the flight management system, the FMS that drives the autopilot and the navigation and all that, that's software intensive. So if the software code in there is is, is in error somehow or another, right. it's not necessarily going to show up in, in a normal ground test because you're not using the FMS on the ground. Right. right. And, and although it's not fly-by-wire... Um, there certainly are actuators that pull on the cables. Um, oh to, yeah, to make in the, response to what the FMS. Yeah, was, and and that sounds like I'm sorry, it's sound management system right. for those that are. Sounds like that's that was a factor here, and so, anyways, uh, dis, uh, uh, disturbing on a number of different yeah, levels to me. Know, anyways, the other, the other thing going on here is there are switches on the 730s, according to the, to this Boeing uh, flight manual. Um, there are um, switches on the 737 labeled stab, trim, cutout. Mm-hmm. And if I was looking for a switch that would maybe stop the uh, pitch trim from nosing down all the time, maybe I would use that switch. Right. 
So there's something just basically askew. You know, it's like it's like a chapter got cut out of a manual or something. Well, yeah, almost exactly. I mean, or left or never created. Yeah. Uh, if I'm reading all of this correctly, but yeah. uh, um, well, no but, one, no one told the crews that there was this procedure. Yeah. So, anyways, um, it's still all. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, starting to. Yeah, yeah. It's starting to become clear, but maybe by the te- next time we do an episode, um, it, there'll be more detail, and we can we can return to oh, this. Oh, next but, time we do an episode, I won't even be flying. I know. It's, sorry, well, folks. When, when you we look missed at, it. A, yeah, go ahead, David. And then I'm going to say oh, something. When, and, when you look at the list of of uh, things that an, an erroneous angle of attack indication can cause, some it says. Additionally, pilots are reminded that an erroneous AOA can cause some or all of the following indications and effects. This is where it gets spooky. Continuous or intermittent stick shaker on the affected side only. And remember, they got AOAs on both sides of these things. Minimum speed bar, red or black, on the affected side only. Increasing nose-down control forces. Inability to engage autopilot. Automatic disengagement of autopilot. Indicated airspeed disagree alert. Altitude disagree alert. AOA disagree alert if the AOA indicator option is installed. Well, duh. And field different pressure, uh, field differential pressure light. Gee, many Christmas. How do you know which one of those is happening at any given time? You get the alert on the screen, but then what do you do? Yeah. So, anyways, well, we'll, you know, yeah, go ahead. Normally, there would be a what I'm what I'm hearing today, at least, uh, not as, not within these links, is that uh, the pilot community is saying, "Look, we didn't know about this. This wasn't in this wasn't in the, on the quiz." Oh yeah, I, I think the union's in an uproar. Uh, not yeah. not unsurprisingly, yeah. um, the, the, you know, this is a bad bad situation. Um, and so, yeah. Anyways, more on this later, I'm sure. And, and, and according to this flight manual supplement. This this is a condition that can occur during manual flight only, which is weird because the FMS is the one that's doing things to the trim tabs. So you're telling me that the, when they try to go raw data uh, and hand fly the airplane, that the trim keeps pitching down on them? Yeah. Oh, wonderful. In 10 yeah. seconds, in, in inter- increments lasting up to 10 seconds. Well, I don't know. Maybe I probably shouldn't even say this, but um, you know, it sounds like a classic runaway pitch trim thing. It does, except it's not completely runaway. It'll do it for ten seconds and then stop. You can counter it with the electric stabilizer trim tab switch, uh-huh. but then it may restart five seconds after yeah, the electronic yeah. stabilizer yeah, I, I trim tab switches are released. Jiminy. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, yeah. It's just, it's just nuts. Yeah. And Turn scary. Turn off the trim and tab. I well, I don't know if that's that may be the right advice, but we ought to be careful. Um, and uh, no, read the manual, guys. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Don't listen to us. Um, we're uh, reaching the end of our allotted time here. Um, one other thing I wanted to touch on here before we get to shoutouts um, is uh, uh, so I was checking. I'm gonna I'm gonna fess up here. All right, um, I, I mentioned my friend Drew who flies a 172 a minute ago, um, and I I talk to him a lot about aviation things, and he gives me lots of ideas for the podcast, and I often just don't introduce because I just don't want to mention his name over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah. But this one also is Drew. All right, 
Hydru. Um, is, uh, so um, I was recently in Phoenix. Drew was there as well. Drew had flown his 172 from uh, the Los Angeles area out to Phoenix for this particular job. Um, so Los Angeles is Los Angeles weather, which fires and, you know, whatever it is like these, this time of year. Then we go to Phoenix, where um, it's beautiful. It's like 80 degrees every day um, and, and nary a cloud in the sky, all right? Um, and then after Phoenix, he continued on to New Mexico to visit family. Um, and the next day, he texted me commenting on uh, he was getting ready to take off and return home from, from New Mexico. And th- at that moment, the weather was um, like 9 degrees Fahrenheit, okay, wow. at Ooh, the airport. Wow. All right, it was a higher. It was a sixty-seven hundred foot airport. All right, but still, it was like nine Fahrenheit. Okay, well, that's helpful. Yeah, it yeah, really right. Is. It, uh, oh yeah, because it makes the air thicker. But still, um, it, so, and and we were chatting on text about the fact that uh, um, you know he had had the foresight to put his airplane in a heated hangar overnight, so that it was you know, and and I got to asking him something that was all i was taught a long time ago so a long long time ago i'm sure i've told the story on the podcast a long long time ago i was getting ready to go flying with an instructor and it was winter time and it was a relatively small tight airplane and so i not only took off my heavy winter coat but i was tempted to leave it behind in my car and change into a lighter lighter jacket and my instructor said no 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 don't do that all right um put the heavy coat in the back of the airplane because what happens if you're out flying around and you land out in the middle of nowhere in the winter all right and you're, you need to survive for a while all right you need that heavy coat and that's a really good lesson um, that's always stuck with me and so I was I was quizzing drew about this I'm saying you know did you bring a winter coat um, do you have a good coat uh, and 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 he that prompted him to tell me, um, good on Drew. He has quite an elaborate uh, survival kit that he carries around, um, and he was telling me all the different things, uh, hand warmer things, and fire starting stuff, and uh, blankets and and whatnot that he carries routinely in his in his 172. Uh, he does a lot of flying out over these mountains to the east of, of Los Angeles, and so um, you know, good for Drew. And it's a it's a lesson for all of us to, you know, you think that you're taken off from Los Angeles and landing at Phoenix, but you're flying over some crazy ground in order to get there. And right. what happens if you have to land? And you land safely. You land fine in this snowy field, and, and now you freeze to death while, while you're waiting right. for help to come. Um, bring your heavy coat, even if you take it off and throw it in the back. Um, what, do you guys take any... What kinds of precautions do you guys take for you know kind of survival stuff? Um, David, when you flew, and I, Jeb, you do too a little bit, but J- David, when you flew uh, the, the Cayman Caravan way back when, w- what sort of emergency stuff did you carry for that trip? For the Cayman Caravan? Yeah. Oh, Jeb and I both did at uh, different times. Say again, uh, David. Speak up. I carried, carried a survival kit that had uh, a uh, brightly colored hat. So to make us visible, sure. A, a signal mirror. Uh huh. Was wearing personal flotation device, and had a life raft. And in the life raft was a survival kit with three days worth of food and fresh water. Mm-hmm. And another signal mirror, shark repellent. Uh, seemed like there was something oh uh material to start a fire is so Mm -hmm. that when we landed on gilligan's island we could signal for help (laughs) 
Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, the professor will solve that problem pretty quickly anyways, but that's uh, okay. I get it. three-hour crew. Yeah, right. Well, I, I, I brought along my Boy Scout stick and bow, so... Yeah, okay. You know oh, okay, is, right? yeah. You know what that is, right? Say it again now, yeah. a Boy Scout... St- stick and bow. For making a fire. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. I know what that is, right? I, you I, use I've a bow seen with that. a stick wrapped... Yeah. A, with a string wrapped around a stick, and you put the stick down on a uh, piece of soft wood, and then you just saw back and forth with that mm-hmm. bow. It, it spins it until it starts to smoke, and by that point, you should have, you know, some tinder there to pass it on to. Yeah, so... Do you have anything you want to add to the subject I, of survival no, stuff? I appreciate, I appreciate the, the trip down Boy Scouts memory lane. Um, <laughs> this is serious <laughs> stuff, though, okay? No, it is. It yeah. is. I mean, I, I, on one level, I joke. I said my my um, survival kit uh, oftentimes is a live credit card mm-hmm. um, because I'm flying uh, in areas that I... Um, uh, they are well populated, and you know, if I survive long enough to get out of the airplane, uh, I could walk to somewhere. There's always, you know, there's cell coverage, whatever. Right. If I were going into more remote areas, then my plan would change. Right. Um, over water, uh, you know, I have, I guess, four now uh, PFDs. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, a couple of other gadgets, you know, things like that, survival kit stuff. That I just kind of stashed in the airplane over the years. Um, crash axe, da 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 da. You know, fire making capabilities. Um, depends on where I'm going if I take anything else. Right. What's well, the status? Where are we? Where are we now on the uh, the uh, whole upgrading the locator beacon thing? Has is it required that everybody has the newer one, or can do people still have a mixture? You can't. Dave, correct me if I'm wrong. You can still buy a 121.5 only ELT, but it will be an ancient design. Mm-hmm. And they, they stopped. And they're hardly eight, listening, right? They're yeah, not listening. Eight, yeah, six, eight, ten years ago, they stopped. Um, no, in, in 09, they stopped listening to 121.5 via satellite. Mm-hmm. So 121.5 is still broadcast by some ELTs, but as a local homing aid. Right. Um, everything else is 406, which is digital and it can include the GPS coordinates and the last known GPS coordinates, um, things like that. Right. Well, um, you can you can still use the 121.5 ELT. Uh, the FAA didn't uh, require the changeover to the uh, newer, the newer models, the uh, 406 ELTs. Most 406 ELTs also broadcast on 121.5 because it's helpful when searchers get within that last mile. Uh, but I'm looking at a couple of uh, of uh, pilot shop websites, and I don't see any new 121.5s for sale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, so the trick is you can find a used one, put it in. You can replace the batteries in the old one and keep using it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only downside to that is that the satellites don't hear that anymore. Right, the, the 121s. The, the, the yeah. satellites that pick up the uh, emergency beacons aren't tuned in to hear 121.5 right. megahertz anymore. Right. So, so th- th- flying around with only that, 
uh, you'd be better off adding yeah. a spot or a personal locator beaker or something like that if you're just absolutely determined not to go to a 406. Right. I'm tempted to be I'm tempted to be I don't know what the right word is suspicious or cynical or something about the fact that the feds are so strident on the subject of making us change to ADSB for most flying um, but have not required the better ELTs. Well, that's easy. Yeah. Yeah. What? Well, with the uh, ADSB, you're uh, you're being forced into the system for the convenience and safety of the uh, air traffic system and and and, and traffic management, because not having ADSB can affect other people. Not having a 406 ELT only affects you. <laughs> so if you're willing to th- roll the dice. And say, well, I'm always going to crash somewhere within cell phone range and be alive to use a cell phone. Then you, the FAA is fine with letting you be suicidal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Jack, your, your, own, your own state's uh, license plates say it. Live free or die. Live free or die, man. Although I'm allowed to put tape over. The, I, I haven't, but yeah, it's a long story. Um, okay, okay, okay. See, live free or die includes the right to not say live free or die I well, agree. and this keeps coming up and and, and and kitties this isn't the first time the FAA has forced an equipment change on all of aviation for the benefit of air traffic management I mean you used to not have to have a transponder and then they started requiring transponders to certain right. airspace and right. then you had to have mode C with the altitude squawk because right. without the altitude squawk it wasn't really helpful in some airspace, uh, hint, hint, San Diego, for example. Uh, so we, uh, we, we've we been forced into some of this stuff before. We've been forced to put lights on airplanes to fly at night. That wasn't required in the beginning. You could always hold a candle in a cockpit, but who's going to see that from behind? So, you know, this isn't something that the FAA suddenly jumped into and said, you know, we haven't been badass enough. We need to force these people to spend more money. Uh, They do it when they deem it for the greater good, the only way to put it. So they think ADSB is for the greater good. And it doesn't help the argument against ADSB that the rest of the world signed on to this, too, with the uh, uh, ICAO mandate for this around the world. So you're kind of stuck. One day we'll talk about, maybe in the after show, maybe one day we'll talk about my conspiracy theory about the whole ADSB thing, but that's that's, that's not for right now. To user fees? No, no, to ADSB requirement. That's what I'm saying, user fees? No, no, no. We'll go, no, it's like you know, if you're if you're a if you're a if you're a uh, if you're a Patreon uh, uh, reward level patron, um, you may hear more about this in the after show. Time will tell. Uh, uh, there, uh, there, we'll, there we'll are talk about this at the next board meeting. <laughs> um, there there are outs. people who there are people who think that ADSB is out there so that the Fed can track each and every right. flight and where we go, right? Just in case. Uh, see, and I didn't say that. I don't that. think they have the staff or the computer memory to do no, that. They oh, they, they totally don't. have the computer memory, but well, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and they're probably doing it now. Yeah. What was the line? Um, you know, your your adversary has the ability to, to listen to everything at every time, and all, all the time. And yeah. You don't think they're using it? Right. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. 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 So, anyways, all right. All right. Um, tin, tinfoil hat off. <laughs> 
Shout-outs. Shout-outs. Um, let's see now. Uh, i got a couple of them somewhere. You look at the list, and I'm going to do one little uh, administrator thing, and that is to just kind of explain. I, I, we, so it's been a month. We haven't done an episode in a month, and that's not intentional. Um, we just got into a weird scheduling thing. Um, we were actually scheduled to record an episode about two weeks ago, and some something came up. I forget even now what it was, but I know something came up between the three of us. It might even been on me totally, but... Um, and so we had to cancel that recording. And then um, then we had a, a, a couple weeks in there where it was just impossible for us to record because of, of uh, personal comp, you know, uh, um, calendar stuff. Um, and then this was the next available um, you know, weekly slot. And so, uh, yeah, it's been a month. I, I, to those listeners I've heard from who are a little bit concerned, please don't be concerned. It was just a little, a little blip, all right? And, uh, um, we're, we're, not, we're not about to launch our going out of podcasting no. sale. Right. Now, having said that... Um, we may not have it. This is our first November episode. We only had one October episode. We may not have a second November episode because of various schedule things and um, the Thursday, the Thanksgiving holiday here in the U.S., which is on Thursday. Um, so don't panic. Um, there may not be a second November episode. I'm optimistic that, that we will get back to two, two a month in December, if not sooner. So uh, uh, Unless all of you all want to pitch in through Patreon tip jar enough money to make this our full-time job and then we'll do one a week wouldn't that be nice we, i would you know oh, yeah i mean all kidding aside pay uh, me enough i'll do one a day yeah okay yeah, let's stay here let's not yeah. get to, yeah right one a day right yeah we'll do dailies it become but, the, but enough has a kind of a yeah, yeah, right. feel to it yeah no i mean i, I need and, to refill my podcast prescription please uh, yeah um no, we're very, very appreciative to the level of support we get from our Patreon folks already. Um, a little bit more, and we could do more for sure. But uh, we're not, we're not unhappy with what what the, the level of support we've got right now. It's pretty cool. We we would be we would be very here cool. without the all listening. Yeah. So, anyways. Um, we're still trying Shout to figure outs. out why you all are here listening. But that's did you all figure story. out what you want to talk about? Jeb, you mentioned, did you find something? Yeah, who goes first? I don't know. David, do you have a shout out? Oh, yeah. Okay, go, David. Well, our friends here in Wichita, uh, that is Doc's friends, got to move Doc into its new hangar uh, earlier this, well, last week. Last Doc week. being the uh, newly being restored the B- B-29. B-29, in, in, not to be confused with you, who is occasionally known by the nickname Doc. Right, yeah, I forget yeah, about that We are going to move you into a new hangar soon, but that's a different I'm, story. I'm thinking of having a Doc tattoo put on my forehead so it cuts down on questions. But, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, that would definitely <laughs> cut down on questions, not. Doc, uh, uh, Doc's friends and uh, community efforts, they raised a... Uh, Raised a bunch of money to build a new hangar mm-hmm. and a museum at uh, Eisenhower uh, International Airport. That's the old mid-continent for Luddites like me. Uh, so the uh, dock has moved into her hangars, and they're still finishing up the inside. And uh, looking forward to uh, when it's open for regular hours to, to go down and tour the museum and, and, and the history of the ah, B-29. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. was built here in Wichita. Right. That's what I was... Uh, wait a minute. I know it was restored there in the Wichita area. Was it actually built in Wichita? Yeah. Way back, yeah. way back when. Original. Oh, really? Yeah, 1944. Okay. Wow. Okay. And I was going to ask you whether or not... I know this hangar exists for the purpose of sheltering um, dock in between flying and, and a place to do maintenance and whatnot. There are going to be public facilities, right? There are going to be exhibits and... Mm-hmm. 
Oh yeah, they, 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 they co-located in the hangars that Doc will occupy uh, permanently is going to be a museum uh, detailing the history of the B twenty nine and the Boeing Wichita where it was built and the uh, restoration effort, and uh, it'll be open for tours and. Uh, and it'll be the home base for when they go out and do uh, air show tours, which they now have permission to do air show tours and do passenger flights for hire. So uh, that's going to be a big help in mm-hmm. in uh, supporting that airplane because those four big engines are thirsty mothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah it right. takes some money to fly these airplanes, no question about it. Oh, so. yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I, I, that's you know, if not if not to visit you, definitely come out to check out Doc as a reason to visit Wichita these days. So, uh, yeah, very cool. Uh, uh, Jeb, what do you got? Um, did we not know that there was another dead cow? I came across this recently, and you know, it's got to be like Main Street and uh, you know, a variety, you know, Round Pond, and it's one of those names that's probably, which is the which is the dead cow new uh, other dead cow you discovered? Uh, this is on uh, ALPA website. Yeah, uh, somewhere it's, in the situ, situated somewhere in the middle of nowhere, Nevada. Yeah, this is the flying cowboys thing, right? Apparently, yeah. Yes. The, these are the guys yes. we talked about them back at Oshkosh time. The, okay. uh, the, uh, the oh, I'll shut up. The stole, okay. well, no, just, we, but we didn't uh, talk about dead cow. It is notable that they, they have, have named this, their lake bed dead cow. Right. Yeah. Which of course is the same name applied to you know uh, Dave's old airport. And I choose to think. I choose to believe that not only have they named their airport or their airstrip or their landing field dead cow after the beloved Wichita airport uh-huh. but they learned of the beloved Wichita airport yes. because they're uncontrolled airspace listeners yeah, this I, is, I subscribe to that theory this also. is my story and I'm sticking to it so, uh, uh, I'm there with you yeah dead cow it is kind of a cool story aside from stealing the name um, yeah. Yeah, these guys do some really cool flying um, they're very active on YouTube um, and uh, um, there's some fun stuff that you can see them going out and flying in the middle of nowhere and landing in weird places and yeah they're a cool bunch of people and uh, yeah they were featured at, at Oshkosh the whole gang of them were doing short takeoff and landing stuff um, and I say that the long form because I cannot pronounce the the uh, acronym which acronym is that? STOL STOL oh, S-T-O-L yeah S-T-O-L but I keep saying STOL um, anyways um, yeah cool stuff you know the other dead cow airport the other dead cow. Other dead cow report. Well, I'm glad it's not here because this town ain't big enough for two dead cows. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any other shout outs? We done? Fork time? Uh, let me look real quick. Yeah, I'm done. Well, well just, just for the record. Yeah. Uh, because this we've talked about this particular uh, subject before. Just for the record, uh, there's been a spattering of, of news reports at the first of the month about a potential new FAA administrator. Ah, yes. I believe it was Steve Dixon. Right. Who was labeled by the Wall Street Journal as a veteran Delta Airlines pilot. Okay. You say uh, that in a funny way. Labeled by? No, that's, that's just their lead paragraph. Okay, so all right. Yeah. Their lead sentence, they labeled him a veteran Delta Airlines pilot uh, who retired as uh, Senior Vice President of Global Flight Operations last mm-hmm. month. Mm-hmm. But... Um, 
haven't really seen. There's been a smattering of coverage in, from the usual suspects, um, but there really hasn't been um, that much from the mainstream media of late on this. So I kind of wonder if this wasn't like some some uh, self-fulfilling prophecy that someone floated and uh, kind of died on the vine. I don't know. Yeah. You heard it here first. Right. Yeah. I mean, it may just have been a, a trial balloon kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. and Because, uh, exactly. um, uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, for shame, you know, someone manipulate the media. But, yeah, you know. I know, right. <laughs> I know, huh? Anyways, all right. Yeah, well, we'll see whether we get a new administrator. Um, the administrator we've got seems to be, you know, doing okay, no I guess. No one that I know of, yeah. no one I've heard lately is complaining. Which is, which is say, the acting administrator we have. Is exactly. there a limit on how long you can be under an acting administrator? or? Um, <sighs> There's no, there's no limit on that. No dude. limit. Yeah. For the FAI, I don't think there is. Yeah. For, for other agencies, departments, there may be. Yeah. So, anyways. Okay. Well, we'll see. We'll see. But I, uh, I'm, I'm glad to see a, a name floating that seems to come closer to having the qualifications yeah. that job requires. Right. Yeah. The last right. name exactly. that was floated. Yeah, that's exactly. that's that is comforting. I I, I I in my in a perfect world it wouldn't be yet another airline executive, but that's still better than what we'd heard in the past. You and, know, uh, Randy Babbitt would have been a good administrator if he hadn't been screwed over. Yeah, I, um, I'd nominate Barry Valentine again. But, I'd nominate uh, Barry Valentine again too. Me too. I think, but I think Barry would track you down. And shoot <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think Barry. If that came to pass, oh, he'd but, probably punch me in the nose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Barry's Barry's but, enjoying life way too but, much now to want that well, kind of. Barry was acting for about 18 months of memory right. service. Right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, anyways, okay. Uh, definitely fork time here. Uh, thank you, guys. It's always a blast. I really, really enjoy talking. I mean, it's been a month. Holy moly. And it may be another month, unfortunately. But we're going to talk about that in the after show. Uh, my two good friends, uh, uh, Jeb Burnside. Jeb is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, what have you been working on? Um... Puttering around the house, getting ready to have the kids down for uh, Thanksgiving. Mm. Um, uh, getting and putting some finishing touches on uh, uh, a little bit of a change to the magazine. Uh, getting ready to put it out again. Uh, cool. January 2019 issue is the Ooh, next one. Which here we know, go. Yeah, uh, which not coincidentally puts us out one year out from uh, ADSB. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, right. That's a whole other. Yeah. yeah right. May you live in exciting times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> yeah. You know, because everything else is very calm and, you know, exactly. in, in the world these days. Exactly. Okay. Well, cool. Well, where can people find out about you and all this stuff you're doing on the internet? Well, the magazine is aviationsafetymagazine.com. I had to stop thinking about that for a moment. Um, I will also have stuff that pops up on uh, amweb.com. AINonline.com, uh, uh, generalaviationnews.com, uh, from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, on the Twitter machine, it's Burnside Jack. Very cool. Very cool. Thank you very much. And Dave Higdon. Dave is an aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's Ab Buyer magazine. David, what have you been working on? Are you back? I know you're muted. I think you answered the phone. You're back? Yeah, no, I did. To yeah. mute. I had a phone call coming That's in. That's fine. To, uh, what you been working on? What's notable? Well, I think what's timely and notable for this month is my work in the November Avionics News Magazine, where I have a pair of stories, one on ADSB out compliance 
at 13 months from the deadline. And the other one, uh, looking at the uh, benefits, limitations, and options of ADSBN equipment. Uh-huh. And Good. somehow or another, they put them back to back in the, uh, page 16 and page 20. So you can find that if you're not a subscriber. You can call them up, send them a mail. They'll put you on the subscription list. Otherwise, you can find it at uh, AEA.net. Click on the, uh, well, for this one, the Time Flies 14 Months and Counting cover that's uh, on the uh, on the page. Yeah, I'd completely forgotten about uh now i can do some work for them too but that sounds like a great spread uh update guys yeah cool stuff cool stuff david where can people find you on the internet well let's start at aea.net for avionics news avbuyer.com for my uh business aviation work in that magazine or my weekly business aviation blog on their website uh I got a couple of ghost clients, so I can't give you those. But uh, just Google Dave Higdon in aviation, and you won't have to wade through the golf writer and the theoretical physicist. Here we go. Of which I'm okay. neither. Uh, you're neither, or not, as the case may be. We're still we're starting to become suspicious, but more on that. Maybe that's an after-show thing too. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. Um, just got finished with a, a, a fairly intense uh, sequence of trips for my day job. Uh, three different uh, three different locations. Three one-week jobs in about a five-week period so uh, i've been away a lot for the last last month and a half or so um but i'm back now for uh, home uh, here on the beach if you will uh for a fairly through probably probably through the first of the year here um where i'm just kind of working on uh, where we're getting lookout point buttoned up for the winter and uh and working on some new developments that uh, i'm not going to exactly talk about but i will hint that things may be changing uh for me a bit sometime soon but uh, um will have little or no effect on the podcast just or this podcast but uh you know i'm more on that one i can talk more about it um you can find me online at, uh, in most places with the username jack hodgson uh for example uh youtube.com slash jack hodgson where i post videos from time to time twitter.com slash jack hodgson where i am uh, somewhat vocal uh and uh, probably can can learn more about me than you ever really wanted to know um I've also started to post, um, in addition to the uh, Uncontrolled Airspace Patreon account, um, I now have my own personal Patreon account, uh, patreon.com slash Jack Hodgson. I am not at this time uh, soliciting uh, a patrons, uh, don't, you know, financial patrons through Patreon, but I am using Patreon right now as sort of a blog of sorts uh, where I'm posting um, uh, things about about work that I'm doing and activities and whatnot, and, and you can read that stuff without being... Uh, a financial patron. So uh, if you're at all interested, you might want to go. And I think you can even like follow or subscribe or something like that to uh, patreon.com slash Jack Hodgson. Um, on Amazon, you can search for my ebooks by searching for Around the Field in the book section and sign up for my email newsletter at jackhodgson.com. David, was there something you were going to tell us? Well, best way to old age that I can think of is to spend time flying because you've heard it before time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan so long and that's enough talking let's go flying I can't add anything to that